0: And then I was reading Hemingway's *The Sun Also Rises*, and a character is at a bar, and he and his friends have been drinking. And somebody asks him, "So, how did you go bankrupt?" And he responds, "Gradually, and then suddenly." And I smiled, and I had a, an epiphany, which was that our our careers and our companies and our relationships. And indeed, our entire lives succeed or fail gradually, then suddenly, one conversation at a time.
1: This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing Team. Today, we celebrate episode 100 together. 100 episodes of the One Thing Podcast, which, thank you. We really would not be doing this without you. Originally, we had planned to do a really special solo episode for you. And then I had the conversation that I had today. And in that moment, we realized there was no higher calling, no way that we could serve you more than to bring you the conversation that you are about to hear. And we hope that if this makes as big of an impact on you as it did for us, that you will share this with as many people as you can. Here's why we're bringing this to you. If you want to live an extraordinary life, it requires that you master something. And it only has to be one thing. When you look at what you want out of your life, What do you want to master? What's the one thing you can master such that by mastering it would make everything else easier or unnecessary? In this episode, we'll ask you to consider if having a certain type of conversation, in this case, we'll call them fierce conversations, may be worth mastering. In this episode, I sit down with someone that I have been looking forward to for a long time. If you've been following the podcast since the beginning, you know that that Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, has transformed my entire life. And ever since, I have developed the habit of intentionally getting into relationship with people who are where I want to be. You also know, if you've been following the podcast for a while, that I've been going on a road to mastering asking great questions. The person who I, one of the people I've been modeling when it comes to asking great questions, is the woman you're going to meet today. She has a book called Fierce Conversations. It is the number one book I recommend when others ask, how can I go on a journey to asking great questions? And today you get to meet the author, Susan Scott. I will tell you, um, this may be the most meaningful interview I've ever done. And part of that is because... um, About halfway through, I asked that she turn the tables on me and walk me through a fierce conversation so we could model it for you. And she started asking me questions that really interrogated my entire reality. I share this openly because I know it'll help you. And you can hear the emotion in my voice because I'm recording this after we had the actual conversation. Um, My suggestion to you is that you put yourself in my shoes. That when Susan asks a question, that she asks it to you. That for if you could only treat one episode differently, if you could treat this one differently, when that question gets asked, would you pause and really answer it because if so, I have a feeling you will get to experience how profound having fierce conversations is and what will be possible for you if you go on your own road to bring in conversations like these into the relationships that matter most to you. With that, let's get into this conversation. With Susan Scott, author of Fierce Conversations.
2: Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious, ready to eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef created, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month.
1: Susan, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Um, and, and here's why. I look at my partner, Gary Keller look at what he's built in, in, sh- in true awe and amazement. And I asked the question, what habits did he acquire? What did he really master in his life? And there were two things, recruiting amazing people into his world, and once they were in his world, coaching them to their possibilities. And I went to our advanced coaching skills camp hosted by my partner, Diana Kokoska, and she holds up this book, Fierce Conversations. And for two days, she cannot stop speaking your praises. (laughs) On the way back, it was in San San Antonio, I downloaded the book on Audible. And uh, I tore through that book in less than a week. I have never taken so many notes in the Audible app in my entire life. And it has completely transformed how I'm showing up in the world. Wow. So there's there's your endorsement. Um, So for people who... Already they know I've been going on a road to mastering, asking great questions. Go to audible.com/slash one thing, get a copy of Fierce Conversations. It is the highest endorsement that I could possibly give.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where did this come from?
0: Well, it came from professional success and personal pain. I had been leading these small groups of CEOs for 13 years. I had two groups mm-hmm. here in Seattle, where I live, and each group had 16 non-competing CEOs in it. And I would spend about two hours every month, one-on-one with each of the CEOs, and then one full day every month with each of the groups so that they could advise one another on their most pressing issues. And it was so strange. Honestly, when I was invited to do this, I thought, what in the world am I going to offer these CEOs? I mean, they're very, very busy people. They've got resources up the river. You know, what what am I going to do for two hours with them that's going to be worth it to them? I mean, after all, I started out as an English teacher in high school and loved that and still love words and and reading uh, good fiction my background was not you know i don't have an mba i i'm that's not who i am and it's not really who who i want to be it's just so i went into this very humbly and just trying to sort of feel my way forward and after having about a year of okay but no cigar conversations with them I had a really terrible thing happen. One of the members confessed to me that his he he had not been telling me everything that was going on with this company and his company was in serious trouble. And long story short, he had to sell his company and he 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 just kind of walked away with no debt, but not much to show for all the work that he would put into it. And I felt horrible. And so did the the members of his group. And I just knew that I needed to. I needed to change the way I conducted my meetings. It it didn't work to just go in and say, hey, tell me what's going on. You know, let me follow up with you about this and about that and about this. And what did you do do about that? And what's coming up? You know, that just if we ask those kinds of questions, people can withhold what their The real issue is I started to change things. I started to start every single meeting with the CEOs with the question, I want you to just Really take a moment to think about, given everything that is on your plate, everything that's got your name on it, everything, what is the most important thing that you and I should be talking about? And if they ever said, wow, I don't know, I would say, well, what would it be if you did know? (laughs) (laughs) And so and they would think you know i mean if if somebody asked me that question i i need a few seconds or longer to really scan my life my business my everything to to be clear what i should put on the table for us to talk about that truly was the most important thing and then i would just ask a whole lot of questions because i have never seen myself as as a person who's going to advise CEOs and what they should do. And you have to you have to remember, I had 32 totally different industries I was dealing with from from, you know, coffee to software to T-shirts to everything you could imagine. I'm not the expert in any of those areas. So I'm not coming in with answers. There are some things that I have strongly held opinions about, but, you know, (laughs) I don't I don't know the ins and outs of a manufacturing company, for example, or retail empire. So I just I just came up with some questions that would allow the CEO to have self-generated insights. Mm. And over time, I mean my CEOs just really, really thrived and they would sometimes when they'd be interviewed, they would talk about these conversations that they had with me and the meetings that they had with their their uh peers. You know, people would say what what are you doing with those guys? And I I would try to tell them, and then they say, "Teach us, teach us." And so I, I ended up being traveling all over the world, teaching people how to have these great one-on-one conversations in these great meetings, where you've got a room full of cats that you have to herd, mm-hmm. and everybody, to, you know, everybody has a strongly held opinion and believes that theirs is, is right. Now, how do you deal with that? How right. do you get beyond the loudest voice and all that? So. What happened was I'd been doing that for 13 years. I'd had well over 10,000 hours of conversations with these guys. And I say guys because most of them were men. And then I was reading Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Mm-hmm. And a character's at a bar um, in Spain, and he and his friends have been drinking, and somebody asks him, so how did you go bankrupt? And he responds, gradually. And then suddenly, and I smiled and I had uh, an epiphany, which was that our our careers and our companies and our relationships and indeed our entire lives succeed or fail gradually then suddenly one conversation at a time. (laughs) And I had just never... I had never realized that every you know, the conversations were the source of all good things and all horrible things and everything in between. And I know that I nobody ever taught me how to have these kinds of conversations, so that was powerful,
1: yeah. I, one of the things that I have written down that I look at every single time before I go into um, my four one one meeting with my assistant, and it's the four goals of a fierce conversation, which is to yeah. interrogate reality, to provoke learning to tackle the tough challenges and to enrich the relationship.
0: You get a big gold star on you. (laughs) I told you,
1: you have no idea the notes that I took on this thing. I've, I've literally been studying it. That first one interrogate reality, right? What does that mean?
0: Well, that's such a huge one. And, 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 and I'll, I'll answer that and then circle back around to the personal pain part of it. But Interrogating reality, you you have to start there. I, I can remember in the olden days, I would go into a company and help them with their strategic planning and they would set their goals and they'd create their strategy and we'd call it good. And, you know, yeah, we still do that. And we need to get back together again at least once a quarter to say what has changed since last we met? Because no plan Survives its collision with reality. Correct. And reality has this irritating habit of shifting, which can seriously complicate our plans about how things were going to go. So we really need to, you know, whether it's a family, um, a a marriage, a, a, a work team, we need to come together every once in a while and say, okay, what are you seeing from where you sit that either supports what we're doing or suggests that we may need to reconsider? Um, you know, how is this working or is it not working? Because I I think sometimes the hardest thing is to admit, you know, our beautiful, brilliant plan that we all fell in love with is not working. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really need to, we we need to wash our hands of it and start all over. And that can be really hard. But if you don't, you end up way down the line with something that everybody was jazzed about, but your clients won't buy. So Interrogating reality is tough and interrogating one's own reality. You know, how happy am I really, really in my life, in my career, in my relationships? How happy and fulfilled am I? And, you know, we're coming to the end of 2017 and it's a great time. I mean, I love December because it's when I really go off to my treehouse on Orcas Island and I reflect on the year.
1: And you, you literally know. mean a treehouse?
0: I do. Yeah, I do have a treehouse. I do and I just love it.
1: <laughs> Di- Diana shared when she came in and stayed there. in
0: it. Yeah. She has been there. I just I love taking people to the treehouse. You know, and and just think, okay, look, I I messed up in some key areas this last year. I was not really at my best. Um, I faltered here. I was strong here. This part really worked. And really just having that, what is my happiness quotient? How do I really feel about who I am and how I am? And how I'm moving forward in my professional work and my personal life with my friends and family.
1: What I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that interrogating reality is not just about the people you're in relationship with. It's also about holding up the mirror which I know episode 83 um, accountability starts by looking in the mirror was one of our most downloaded episodes. And it was because we really held it up and made people ask the question, are you doing what you say you're doing? Are you, or or are you telling yourself some story to justify your inaction? And this is about you really taking a stand for their greatness. Um, You talk a lot about, Oftentimes people want to be nice in conversations they're afraid to interrogate reality because they want people to like them. but care without candor is a dysfunctional relationship and too much candor with not enough care is a distant relationship
0: yeah I mean i don't I couldn't tell you the, the all the secrets to success, but I can certainly tell you. Uh, a key to failure, and that is try to make everybody happy, try to please everyone. Mm -hmm. That is no way to live. I mean, you end up becoming someone you don't you yourself don't even recognize because you're not standing on any real foundation so that, you know, there are seven principles in fierce conversations. And the first one is master the courage to interrogate reality. And when you think about a fierce conversation, the simplest definition is a conversation in which we come out from behind ourselves into our conversations and make them real. And when that happens, when finally someone in the room puts a toe in that water, even if it feels risky to them and says, I'm, maybe they might say something like, I know we we're spent a, a lot of time talking about this, but I'm concerned that we're skipping over an issue that's really causing us a lot of problems and it would be this. And everybody kind of holds their breath to see what's going to happen. But everybody's also grateful because everybody was thinking that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so coming out from behind yourself and ask just getting in the habit of asking yourself, how far out from behind myself have I come into this conversation with my boss, with my customer, with my coworker, with my spouse? With my teenage daughter, (laughs) with my friend, how far out from behind myself have I come? How real am I being? And am I willing to come a little bit further? Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. You've worked with a lot of business owners. And I I ran into Diana's husband, Tony DeSello, right before this. And I looked at him, I said, Tony, I'm about to get on with Susan Scott. What's one question you would ask her? And he goes, "I'm actually really curious um, what's the one thing you see business owners doing that messes their own
0: business up? Oh, that is a powerful question. he's good at those <laughs> I, know it's, I, I i've I've sort of listened in when Tony's been coaching somebody when I've stayed in their home, and I love to listen to tony he's very he's so good at what he does." I think the one thing that business owners sometimes overlook to their detriment and the detriment of everyone around them, including their employees and their customers, is the importance of connection at a deep level. I think that we can get so caught up in the intellect. And even Einstein, he was on to this. He said, we must take care not to make the intellect our god it has of course strong muscles but it cannot lead it can only serve so when we lead with our smarts and i'm not saying we we don't need our smarts we need every brain cell we've got you know to but when we lead with our smarts but we are not connecting with our customers with our employees with our vendors with our whoever Uh, At a deep level, we are water skiing through what should and could have been a much richer conversation with a much more powerful, complete and elegant solution. So, you know, I always think about and I write about this in both of my books. uh, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for Economics. Daniel Kahneman is a uh, Princeton psychologist. And, you know, how in the world is it that a psychologist wins the Nobel Prize for economics? Because of his studies. And there was just another um, big study that came out that proved exactly the same thing. Mm. People make decisions and act on their decisions first for emotional reasons, second for rational reasons. Mm. And this is not a girl thing, it's not a cultural thing. This is the human condition. So we like to think that we're always making these very logical decisions based on empirical data, return on investment, blah, 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 blah. blah. And um, actually, there's there's some emotional heat underneath all of it that is fueling where we want to go with something. And so I think leadership should be measured in terms of the ability to connect at a deep level. With the people who are important to your success, or lower your aim. I mean, I, I you know, you can have a title leader and have the lovely office and the wonderful personal assistant and all the perks and the big salary and the stock options and everything. But if you don't know how to capture the hearts of your employees and your customers, you are on very thin ice.
1: Can we can I, can we narrow it down there a little bit more? Because um, and this is the whole idea of the one thing is you take something big like being the type of person who can deeply connect really with anyone what's the one thing they can do such that by doing it would make connecting on a deep level easier or unnecessary
0: okay let me let me just back up a tiny bit and cool. say and i'm going to fold into this the personal pain part because um i had i heard um a yorkshire born poet david white speak years ago at a time when I had just left a long-term marriage, and I was in a lot of pain. I was just kind of heartbroken over it, but I I just finally sort of gave up on the whole thing. And David said something that ties into what you and I have just been talking about. He said, the young man who's newly married is often really perplexed, even frustrated, even irritated sometimes, because this lovely person to whom he has plighted his troth— that's how they talk in England— And with whom he hopes to spend the rest of a glorious life, insists on appearing before his face yet again, wanting to talk about the thing we just talked about last night, last weekend. And so often it has something to do with the quality of our relationship. And he wonders, why are we having this conversation again? And then David said "Long about age 42, and he smiled because he was 42 and married at the time. He said "Long about age 42, if he's been paying attention, it dawns on him this conversation is not about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, he is talking just to me. And I found out later on that all 400 people in the room, most most of whom were men, felt exactly the same way. We all wanted to run out into the parking lot and phone home. So if you If you recognize there may be something to the notion that the conversation is the relationship, then if you and I add yet another topic to the list of things we're unable to talk about because it wrecks another meeting at work or it wrecks another weekend at home, then all of the possibilities for that relationship become smaller and smaller and smaller until, you know, one day I recognize I've made myself quite small. I'm behaving as if I'm just a space around my shoes engaged in yet another three-minute conversation that is so empty of meaning it crackles. So if the conversation is the relationship, that means that every time I'm, I'm with someone, whether we're actually speaking or we're emailing or we're texting, I mean, all of these are forms of conversation, so to speak. Every single conversation that I have with anybody is either Enriching that relationship, flatlining it. So, what's the point? Or taking it down. So, what's the one thing somebody can do? Be aware of that. Be aware that this conversation, even this 30 second exchange you're having with somebody, sort of as you pause for a moment at their desk or something, are you really present? I mean, one of the principles is be here prepared. To be nowhere else. So be here in this conversation with this person prepared to be nowhere else for these 30 seconds or this hour and a half or whatever it is. If they just did that, just that, it would enrich their relationships. And if people would... People start following them around, it could become a problem because you, you know, it's a rare experience to have that.
1: So, what I'm hearing you say is that the one thing someone can do, such that by doing it would make having deep, meaningful relationships easier or unnecessary, is to be prepared to be present for the conversation
2: fully, fully,
0: fully present. And, um, I mean, of course, there's much more to the skill of right. having the fierce conversation. And sadly, a lot of people, Just because they're standing there and their eyes are sort of pointed in your direction, you can tell that they're not really there or they're thinking about something else. They're distracted, so they're not really there. And when we know when somebody's not really there and when they're not really there, we're not really there either. Why bother? Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask, how are you? And I didn't really mean it. You'd get (laughs) that I didn't really mean it. And you'd say, I'm fine. And i say, good, and pass on by, and nothing of interest would have happened. But if I stop by your desk and say, I know that you went to visit your grandmother last weekend, how was that? And I just pause for a little bit and really listened to you. You might tell me. And if you stopped, if you just gave me, oh, um, well, it was tough, and you didn't say anything else, and I just stood there and waited. And looked at you like, I'm open for more. Or if you're if you seem to be frozen, I might say, say more, tell me more, you know, and let you talk. That's a good thing. Or I might even say, Hey, I heard you had an amazing conversation with one of our toughest negotiators. Um, you know, a vendor that we really struggle with sometimes. Tell me how that went. I'm so impressed, and really listen. And not, not feel like I have to say anything back to you, but I'm really listening to you. So here's the thing. A lot of people think this is all soft stuff. This, this belongs in the bucket called soft skills. And they're mistaken. When we enrich our relationships with the people who are important to our success, when with them we interrogate reality, learning is provoked, we tackle and resolve our toughest challenges and enrich our relationships with one another. It drops straight to the bottom line. We just got some figures from one of our clients who did a pre- and post-survey on a whole bunch of behaviors. And the results were just stunning. And one of the ones that I was happy to see was there was a 12% improvement in strategy execution. Now. I know that a lot of decision makers are saying, I need the ROI, I need the empirical data, I need to blah, 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 blah. Well, 12% improvement in strategy execution would be really important. Well, where does that come from? It doesn't come from threatening people or saying, you have to get this done. I'm holding you accountable. You know, we have to meet this goal. What are you going to do? It comes from really being present, really listening to them, being extremely skillful in the questions that you ask. Being completely candid, completely transparent about what's working, what isn't working, asking for their perspectives and really asking, then people lean in and amazing things start to happen.
1: For somebody like me, I have gotten clarity that if one of the things I can master in my lifetime, and this may be top two for me, is the ability to ask great questions, and I'm four months into my journey which for people who have been following the podcast that long, they can see the transition. Cause I have really started interrogating reality of the people who listen. Where do I go from here? What would you do if you're in my shoes knowing everything, you know, how would you go on a road to mastering asking great questions?
0: Well, there, the book is full of, of, full of questions. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> it's got, it's got, it's got long lists of just amazing questions so I, I want to think it's it's not a shortage of good questions. The flaw is that we're not really listening to the answers. And we're not listening to the answers in a way that what somebody how somebody responds suggests the next question. We forget to say, say more about that. Keep talking. What else? I mean, just that, because a lot of people will, when you ask them a question, They'll give you what I think of as sort of a water ski response. So that's a surface. You know, water skiing is really fun. I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My grandparents had a place in the lake. My granddaddy had a boat. We would water ski. I loved it. And you can get a tan. But (laughs) (laughs) not so much in Seattle. (laughs) No, not so much in Seattle. We we go to Hawaii usually. Um, But if you have, and I have, uh, gone scuba diving, that is an entirely different world. You know, um, I, my next door neighbors just left this morning from Maui. And I'm very jealous because I've been over there and scuba dive. And, you know, I've been four feet away from these beautiful sea turtles and everything else. And anybody who's had that experience knows that that's, that is nothing like water skiing. And both are fun. But if you want the deeper experience, it's not so much The questions that you're asking, because, I mean, there's just long lists of great questions. It's what do you do when somebody starts answering those questions? Mm. At what level are you listening? So, I mean, I've even done whole trainings on this. Get somebody up in front of the room to talk. And the group is, everybody in the room has been instructed that a third of you are going to listen for the words. A a third of you are going to listen for emotion connected to the words. And a third of you are going to be listening for intent. You know, what is this person really going to do about this? I mean, are they just blowing off steam or is there anything here? And some of the most powerful learnings in the world. I remember one guy talking about how he was so frustrated with his weight and he was going to start a diet immediately. And so people were able to say, this is exactly what you said. And, some, you know, the other group here, the emotions you have around this And the third group said, you're not going to do anything. I don't I don't believe that you're going to do anything. And he was really upset. And on the next break, he had not one, but two uh, Mars bars or something. You know, I mean, he. (laughs) (laughs) so, and you know, am I just if I'm just if I'm just listening for words, but not really paying attention to what's you know, what might there be behind that? Is there a follow on question I can ask? Is there a way that I can get you to go beneath the surface? um so that we can have a deeper experience so it's what you do with the answers and you know you might think well i'm going to ask this question and it's going to take us in this direction and this is going to be so cool but you ask the question and if you're really listening to the answer you may end up you know somewhere entirely different than where you thought you would and it is so fascinating it's it's nowhere you would have even guessed that this conversation could go But because you were completely present and you were really listening and you're paying attention to, well, what else, what else, what's deeper, what's underneath this? I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, you know, if they're if they're describing something that bothers them, some situation or some result that's really bothering them. Um, And I can say, well, please tell me everything that you're not liking about this. You know, what results is this producing? And they. They tell me, well, I don't like this, and this is happening, and that's happening, and I always, what else, what else, what else, and then, okay, let's imagine it's a year from now and nothing has changed. So what? And then they go, oh my God, that would not be okay, you know. And we're we're into a, you know, what I'm doing really is giving the lit match something to ignite. It's Daniel Kahneman. I'm trying to get them in touch with, you know, you got some heat on this. You really do have some heat on this, so. We know people who tell the same sad story over and over and over and over again and never do anything about it. And that's not what I want as a result of my conversations with the people I care about.
1: The thing I want to drive home for people is um, anchoring the emotion in the conversation. And I know when you go through the mineral right's model which i've been studying i've had it used on me and i have been using it it's the whole idea of you don't actually earn the right to go to the solution until you have created enough heat enough pain so that they are com- compelled to take action that's right and this is totally off the cuff and i i feel like to add the most value to people maybe for them to actually experience what it sounds like to have one can we turn the tables and can can we have one Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, Buckle your
0: seatbelts, people. I'm actually a little scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't need to be. This is a you know one of the things about a fierce conversation is that there it's filled with um, goodwill and compassion. Mm-hmm. There are no you know people talk about harsh reality or brutal uh, honesty, and there's nothing brutal or harsh about a fierce conversation. Sometimes it can be a very loving conversation. But let me ask you, Jeff. You know when you think about What's happening in your life right now? Professional, personal, everything, all aspects that are important to you. Given that you mm-hmm. and I have a finite amount of time to spend here,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what is the most important thing we should be talking about right now?
1: <laughs> and for people who can't see me, I'm already tearing up. I am not clear in what we are doing with our business. And that's deeply seated in the fact that one of the first things that was shared with me was that Gary and Jay invested five years researching and writing the one thing so that the bar for quality would truly be world-class. My job was to raise the bar and anything other than that is unacceptable. Every single day I ask the question, am I living up to the brand? Am I raising the bar? Um, it's a, a bit of an imposter syndrome and seeing all the areas where, frankly, we're failing.
0: Tell me about the results you are seeing or not seeing that concern you. What, I mean? What makes you feel that there's much more to be done? I think the
1: first thing I see is the bottom line, which is red. Mm-hmm. we're two years in. Um, I expected to be further along by now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what also concerns me is the model we started going down, which is, quote, a uh, digital marketing, internet marketing model. Inherently, every single strategy in that model undermines the quality of our brand. Wow. Send... Can
0: you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah. Is...
1: So... Send an email every single day, bash people into submission, hammer their inbox so hard that you bash them into making a purchase when our brand is about saving people time wow. and inherently if i'm honest with myself, I feel like we've we've made a tweak recently. I used to say eighty five percent I think at least sixty percent of our emails still
0: waste people's time. Mm, that is a powerful thing to say and so when you when you look at that effect Mm -hmm. that you feel it's having on it's wasting people's time you know maybe it's an irritant to them who knows what do you feel when you when you when you look at that it almost seems like a disconnect between what you're wanting people to experience what they are experiencing what what do you feel
1: i think the first thing i feel is frustration um then i feel confused I feel frustrated because our main sales channel is email. Yeah. And I'm confused because I know there's a better way. I have the gift of having Gary and Jay in my life to ask me bigger questions so I can search for bigger answers. Mm -hmm. I don't have clarity on how I can reinvent a model that works for us yet. And uh, my natural tendency as a leader is to get everything done yesterday Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't have patience for the results or can't cancel. I struggle to find the patience to generate lasting
0: results. Yeah. So, all right. So what I've heard two things, one is the bottom line. One is you're not feeling great about how you're marketing selling. Mm -hmm. What else, what else is disturbing you? Um,
1: are we serving the right customer? Would you say more about that? The book was written for entrepreneurs. It happened to end up helping everyone. And for a book about one thing, we try to wake up and serve everyone.
0: And is that not a good strategy or what? Are I don't you saying? think so.
1: I think you need to I think you need to narrow your focus. Mm -hmm. We taught, it's what we teach, narrow your focus down and figure out who you really want to serve at a world-class level and, um, then allow it to grow from there. I mean, we could spout off all the companies that have done that. Amazon, it's worked out pretty well. Mm -hmm. I struggle because impact and purpose is what drives everything that we do. It really does. And I love being able to help the small business owner. I love being able to help the startup entrepreneur. I love the stay-at-home mom who's in my membership community, who's finding out how to strike the balance between kids and finding purpose. Mm -hmm. Yet I'm confused. How do we serve them at a high level? And at the same time, tomorrow I'm getting on the phone with an executive of a Fortune 500 company to talk about what it looks like to roll this out to 20,000
0: people. Yeah, exactly. How many rabbits can I chase? Exactly. Makes me think of Jim Collins hedgehog thing. You Absolutely. have to know what your hedgehog is, you know, what's the one thing you want to be best in the world at and yeah, go there. Okay.
1: Can I say one thing? Cause it's, it's the underlying challenge that I, I struggle with. I want to get to profitability because first and foremost, I want to give a return on investment in my partnership. Second of all, if I'm being very honest, I have built a lifestyle that exceeds my salary. So I you
0: have a lifestyle that exceeds your
1: salary. I have built a lifestyle that is that exceeds my salary, and which inherently leads to me wanting to make short-term decisions in the business that ultimately sacrifices long-term sustainability.
0: Okay, so I'm a little bit in love with you right now because of your honesty and your vulnerability, and I, I, I'm so impressed that you're doing this live um, on air. Thank you. It's going to be out there. You're very courageous and a good man. I mean, I just so I want to ask you if that question that I referred to earlier—if mm-hmm. it's six months from now mm-hmm. uh, and nothing has changed, you're still in the red. You're still compromising some of your decisions because you need to make money now versus you know the the long term. You're still having some confusion and frustration because you're trying to serve different markets. Nothing has changed. What's likely to occur. Ooh, what a sigh.
1: I've heard Gary say this. Sometimes we tell ourselves this. Sometimes we're failing so slowly. Mm. It feels like we're succeeding very much like your, uh, uh, what was it? Gradually then then suddenly. suddenly. If we continue doing what we're, we've been doing in certain aspects of the business, it's failing so slowly that ultimately I think it's that gradually then suddenly. We are making many tweaks, very aware of it. And my partners, I'm fortunate, are not cracking the whip for me to get to the black. They want me to build a great lasting company. I'm putting that pressure on myself because of my lifestyle.
0: Well, let's talk about that, Jeff. So you know oh, in, in almost <laughs> in, in almost any situation we I mean the toughest and most important thing to do is to say where where are where's my DNA on this situation? Oh, yeah. you know where are my fingerprints here what What have you brought to the party, so to speak, that is is causing this languishing success slash failure?
1: the pain that I've inflicted on myself? I've inflicted pain on myself because I have yet again, this is the second time I've done this when I swore I wouldn't do it again after the first time. um, I built a lifestyle that exceeds the salary and it's tough to move back.
0: Yeah. What else?
1: I really do believe that's it. And Mm -hmm. here's why I say that, Susan. If the money were not, if I wasn't feeling the financial strain on a month to month basis, I would be where my partners are mentally, which is let's build a great company. We see the metrics. We see what's happening. We know we're building great products that are helping people um, that will scale. We know we're doing the right thing. It's that knocking that lead domino down and trusting the domino effect over time is
0: insanely hard. So let me ask you this. Let's say you did the hard thing. Mm-hmm. which would be to lower your costs. Mm-hmm. You were very, very clear about your work, who your market is. You were building something that you could see is actually going to succeed mm-hmm. because you have you've said, you know, it's like one of the one of the really cool things David White, that poet said, is one of the most powerful learn to say is no mm. and because if we say yes and yes and yes yes we can we can serve this market yes we can do this for you yes we can do that for you then when a really powerful yes comes along there's no room for it because mm-hmm. you' you've said yes to everything else so let's say you've said no even to the moms at home now mom's at home listening to this don't be mad at me I'm just trying to help Jeff get clear here if you said no to everybody but you're really clear targeted this is who This is who we need to focus on, the one thing. Mm -hmm. Your paycheck is covering your costs. You're convinced that where you're headed is the right direction. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What difference would that make?
1: It'd make all the difference. Most of the strain and stress that I create for myself, the number one stress in my marriage, Would all go away.
2: Hmm.
0: What about the business?
1: As well. I would be. 100% committed. And focused on doing. The right. Long term things.
0: And if. There was no longer this. Painful stress on your marriage. Because you're living within your means even though they're a bit smaller for the time being. And if the business you're, you're really rocketing along in the right direction on the right things, if that were the case, what would you feel?
1: I'd feel amazing. I mean, I'd feel like I'd be living my purpose. I wouldn't, I'm, I still can't wait to get out of bed, but I mean, just truly uh, I'm living my life's calling right now. And I would be feeling the word that comes to mind is euphoria. Mm. That's a sweet word. It's a good
0: one. And what about your marriage? No more stress on there. Yeah. No more stress. What if, would you be feeling then? Uh,
1: my connection with Amy would be just so much deeper. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, a huge, it's a huge issue right now. Mm. I'll say opportunity. I,
0: I get that it is. I and those who are listening, I'm looking at Jeff. We're on Skype and I see the tears in your eyes. And I see the pain. And I'm so I feel it. So I'm gonna ask you this question. Given everything that you and I've just talked about, just in this very brief conversation, what do you see as the next most important step. I mean, there may be many steps, but the next most important step you need to take.
1: First thing I'm going to say is just get clarity on what that North Star is in our business. To truly get clarity on what the right, like, let me just assume that everything else has been taken care of. What are the right actions? Get them down on paper. Mm-hmm. So that I have something to compare to um, the reason I went there and not straight to the money is because that is the topic of every conversation I have with my coach, every meeting for my four and one with Jay is all we're already focusing there um, and we're making progress. It's just I want it yesterday, and um. It's all going in the right direction. Just trusting the domino effect so hard.
0: And you are broken hearted. Yeah. You are broken hearted. You can't. Oh, my gosh. You cannot continue like this. I can't stand this for you. What's the conversation? What's the conversation that you and Amy need to have?
1: At this point, I feel like I need to put her in the driver's seat. It's been me coming to the table with the ideas. It's been me bringing accountability and heat to the conversation. And it's the exact thing I refuse to do in my business because I know the importance of leading with questions and making it their idea.
0: Right. You are a wise man.
1: Hard Hard to do when you're not getting the answers that you want. This is where my natural impatience shows up. Um, being willing to be impatient, quote, telling myself the story that I know the answer and what it should be. And if she doesn't come to that yet, being willing to let her fail forward and self-discover the path.
0: Well, and maybe she won't fail forward. Maybe she'll succeed. You know, I mean... (sighs) One of the things that happens to me all the time is that I think I've got all these brilliant ideas and then I meet with my team and I think it's a good thing I didn't pull the trigger on that idea because it wasn't so brilliant after yeah. all. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the conversation about what's really important to to you and Amy, I, I want to say that has to come first. I just, you know, nor- normally I don't advise, but I really I really hope you'll go there first because that's what's breaking your heart. I mean, you can't bring yourself fully into your work when things are difficult at home with the person you love so much so you don't want to lose that you want to nurture that and you and Amy have got to connect at a deep level and that definitely will involve your telling her what you're feeling and asking her what what she's feeling and asking her what she feels you too should be doing about this
1: this is where the accountable side of me comes out I feel like we've had this conversation so many times and um ultimately it's clear to me that I am not communicating correctly or effectively because I'm not getting the response. My intent is there but um the way it is received the response
0: is you want or you're not getting any response.
1: No, it's just um I'm not communicating in a manner that allows her to feel like
0: it's a safe place. Got it. There you go. Bingo, and good for you. Good for you. Because each of us is a place
2: mm-hmm.
0: where conversations occur. We're an intellectual place, a physical place, an emotional place. I mean, there are people that we've learned to avoid because mm-hmm. it, it won't be fun. It won't be pretty. So right there is your biggest challenge. Oh, Jeff. All right. And then and then um, what else? I mean, we're not going to make build out the whole long list, but so you know, you're you you you're going to talk again with Amy, but in a very different way, a very different way, because you're mostly going to ask and listen, and tell me again what you're going to do about the business.
1: I'm going to write down what the right activities are if I removed everything that's um, causing the strain. What would I be doing if money was not the issue to build a truly lasting business?
0: So what's going to try to get in your way of doing these things? Um,
1: this is where I'm actually pretty good um, at, at managing the stuff because it's the one thing I train on. Only me allowing myself to not act in order of priority.
0: Mm-hmm. When do I get to follow up with you? One week from I want, now. A week from now. One week from now. One week from now. Okay, because I really do. I, I really do want to follow up with you. I mean, that's important. You have now become important to me. Oh, thank you. And, yeah, you're welcome. So, all right. I, you know, there, there's much more we could talk about, but I think that this is a good stopping place. But tell yeah. me, was this helpful?
1: Ah, yes. And I'll now play narrator for people who are listening to this. There's a reason I wanted to go down this rabbit hole um, because I I alluded to it before. When you bring emotions to the table, all of a sudden there's a lot more motivation to take action. Um, Oftentimes we need enough pain in our life to compel us to uh, take action. And this just an easy way to elevate that pain real quick. And um, what I was feeling through that, I mean, I went to a very low place very quick, uh, but at the end, like that clarity, like I just felt the weight lift off my shoulders. I want to do it. I'm looking at everything else that is on my calendar this week and saying it's not as important. Um, Mm -hmm. Just it's
0: good. That's great. So these conversations, this particular coaching is called a coaching conversation. Although, as I shared with you, I've never seen myself as a coach, Hmm. but this conversation, this particular approach can also be about really exciting things it can be about you know here's here's where we're going and here's what's happening and here's something that i'm really excited about sometimes there sometimes they are there there can be sadness and frustration and anger and a myriad of emotions and sometimes there can be joy and excitement and and i always want uh, one of these conversations always ends with Given everything you and I have just explored together, what do you see as the next most important step? Because you've got, you know, then a person is ready to say, by golly, I'm going to take at least one step. And I want you to do that. And I will follow up with you. You're a brave man. And I th- thank you for doing this. I I, can, I just can only think that the people listening to this will go, wow. And we'll, we'll care about you, Jeff. When we set all of our hubris aside um, and all that ego stuff aside and we come out from behind ourselves and say, look, I'm really, I feel like I'm failing here and I'm really struggling and I'm really sad. I'm really upset. Most people will circle the wagons. Having said that, if a month from now you had taken no steps at all and were telling exactly the same story and having done nothing, then we would have a different conversation. You know? Right. Because because we all we all know the person who's constantly telling the same sad story and is in no immediate danger of doing anything about it. So one of the things about fierce conversations is it it tends to um create a bias for action, which mm-hmm. is really what we all want. Amazing.
1: Well, Susan, where can people learn more about you?
0: Well, they can online uh, just go to Fierce. If you if you just type in Fierce, probably our company will come up, fierceinc.com, and you can um, learn all about us. We conduct trainings all over the world uh, with companies from the Fortune 1 to the very small and medium size that will help companies have the conversations that they need to have because what gets talked about in a company, how it gets talked about and who gets invited to the table determines what's going to happen and equally important, what's not going to happen. So our focus, it's really interesting. Our focus is in the corporate world, even though I get emails Almost every day from people who say, "I'm using this at home. I love this. This is helping with my marriage, etc." And someday I think we'll have something for the general public, but right now it's all corporate, and it, uh, it it's just deeply gratifying the work that we're doing out there.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for everything that you are doing. It's uh, already made an impact in my life, and today was very big.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to uh to be a part of what you're doing, and please. Give my best to Gary. I admire him tremendously. Thank you.
1: Well, there you have it. My conversation with Susan Scott, author of Fierce Conversations. (laughs) I'm a little speechless right now, folks. Um, How are you? What are your thoughts after hearing this? What has become clear for you since you started listening to this episode? I will underscore a few of my takeaways. Number one, the conversation is the relationship. Think of that one person, that one person that you know the relationship is not where you want it to be. It's a relationship that matters to you, and it's hurting. And maybe you're even afraid to acknowledge it. It's that painful. If the conversation is the relationship, what will your conversations have to look like moving forward so that you can feel better about where that relationship is? I love the idea and what an important message that we need to be having fierce conversations, not just water skiing on the surface, but being willing to have the courage to have a fierce conversation, to go where so many of us naturally want to hide, to go there. You heard Susan model it today. The fierce conversation does not have to be intense. It doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be an accountability conversation. It can come from a place of love. It can be delivered with candor and with care. Our question for you is, who do you have in your life who can have a fierce conversation with you? Who's one person you have in your life who will go where you want to hide, who will interrogate your reality they'll provoke your learning, they'll tackle the tough challenges, and they'll enrich the relationship. If you are missing that person, you are not alone. This is part of the reasons why, when we talk about developing the coaching company uh, Behind the One Thing for One Thing Coaching, um, there is a license in place for us to have MAPS Fierce Conversations. Our coaches will be trained in this. So if you would be interested when we do roll out the one thing coaching and having a coach that can lead you through these fierce conversations, send me an email, jeff at the one thing.com, and put coaching in the subject line. That's G E O F F at the one with the number one thing.com, and put coaching in the subject line, and we'll reach out as we get closer to launching this. In the meantime, what will it take for you to muster up the courage? to have that conversation with that one person today. To rip the band off and to go where you want to hide, to say the thing that you know should be said and for whatever reason, you're afraid to say it. How can you say it today? If you'd be willing to, we will ask that you go to your podcast player of choice and leave a review for this episode specifically and share the one most impactful lesson that you got from this conversation. Leave a review and share the one thing that you really learned so that others can learn from you as well. Because in that moment, not only do you solidify it for yourself, you empower someone else. Thank you so much for supporting the One Thing podcast over the last 100 episodes. We are so excited to serve you in the next 100 and what's going to be really cool about what's to come is we're hoping that some of you start living this at such a high level that maybe you can be the person behind the mic leading an episode the one thing was never about me there's a reason you never hear gary keller or jay papazian's voice on this podcast It's because it was never about them. They wanted to build a brand that scales beyond them. And at this point in our journey, it's time for me to also open the door for some of you. That's the opportunity that lies ahead in the upcoming year. So stay tuned, live the book, and thank you for sharing.